feel? Uh, numb, a little numb, you know? Yeah. A little, little yeah, worn hard out. To know, hard to know how to feel in a, post, a post-Colton world. Yeah, and what a ride it's been. And we're recording this a day before it comes out, so I'm sure the narrative will change three more times before then. But where are you yeah. at right now? Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm emotionally exhausted. You know, I, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I'm going to, I will, I will say this. We'll just plug the Nick Vile podcast, the Vile Files. I'm going on on Monday. I think it comes out next Wednesday. I'll go, I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in depth in the context of the, the Bachelor franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, okay. I mean, emotional whiplash. How, how do you feel? You know, everything that everyone else on Twitter has said better than I could ever say it, as usual. And then, of course, the news about the reality show was, um, you know, an unexpected uh, turn. It it was. I I um, I would have waited a week before mm-hmm. announcing the reality show. You know, it, forty-five minutes was not enough time for us all to digest. The news, you know, I, I didn't even have. I still haven't watched the whole eight minutes of the interview. I've seen like the key two minutes, uh, where he where he says I'm gay, and it's and it truly, that I felt that like he's still mm. so nervous and so confused, and uh, you know that I, we've all we know we know that time we've all lived within that time. Um, hold off for one week before you do a reality show much less announce a reality show. I I don't I don't think TV is the place to figure out coming out. I I I just don't. Yeah, and you, um I, you yeah. know, I am sh- ultimately finding out that he follows like Candace Owens and uh yeah, no, I'm Dan not Crenshaw. About that. Like sorry, you're going to have to answer to that if you want us to celebrate your uh well, community. Yeah. Okay. I'll, okay. As somebody who whose journey was not dissimilar, a hundred percent dissimilar in important ways. Uh, but like, as somebody who grew up very Catholic and very conservative, and also queer, you do have that moment, and I do empathize with that moment of being like, the only way to be good is to be just like my parents. You know, the the only way for me to be a good boy and and have a life that I can be proud of is to be exactly the way that I was raised. Right. So, I mean, that is a thing that he will have to work on. But I, you know, I have no I have no fucking idea who Colton Underwood is. I don't know what his personal politics are, but I do feel like everything about him is trying to be a good boy. And he's still kind of stuck in that moment. And um, coming out and being beautiful um, is not going to help because he will now be embraced by other mask, white, beautiful boys, uh, whose whole, um, worldview is not the world's healthiest. And I feel like he will just kind of take on now that persona because he will be like, that is the only way to be good and gay, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Um, so I just, I don't know. I, I feel like he does not have the world's strongest sense of self. If you if you're literally thanking God for putting you on the Bachelor so that you can be straight, like two years ago, you are not ready for all that coming out is, you know. And you should not be doing it on TV. You shouldn't be doing it in public. Take yeah. a year to work through the shit and and like separate what is bullshit homophobia that you have internalized from the rest of it and then then go and be a person. C- Gus Kenworthy is not going to help you. Yeah. Um, and, well, and of course, the, the absolute worst take of the day coming from Carol Radziwell. And I, it's hard to even uh, the gist of it was like, uh, I you know, it, it was it's wrong that he went on The Bachelor knowing that he might be gay. Uh, the producers obviously didn't do a good job researching their contestants. She said, a good day for gay men, a bad day for women. As if like this, oh, the, the wool that, that he pulled over the eyes of the women on The Bachelor is like this unforgivable sin. It's like, A, he didn't fucking know who he was. And B, like, right. like, like that's the only thing about The Bachelor that's problematic. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and then, of course, people are just coming at her with like pictures of her and um, Gis- Ghislaine, Jeffrey Epstein's 
person. Yeah. You know, and she's weirdly like sort of embedded in that. She is just such trash. Wow. I'm embarrassed that I once had a birthday cake with a a fake picture of me and Carol Radziwell put on it that my friends made for me because I used to love her that so much. The best and least surprising thing I've ever heard in my life. I uh, I love it. I um I it's very telling though how much we've learned about people's understanding of how uh, coming out works and what being gay is. Like there's there are high levels of what we will call acceptance in America right now, but there turns out to be no understanding at all because that was a lot of people did say that on Twitter. Like he went on and fooled all those women. He was lying. Like that's not how that fucking works at. All. He was he was running a con on himself. That is what life just before coming out of the closet is. You are trying. You are grasping at straws, and there is a bunch of fucking collateral damage, and it is bad. But it's you don't go into it like, ha ha! I can't wait to fool all of these people. That is not how that works at all. What are we supposed to think or feel about this story? That his, um, you know selection from the bachelor he had a restraining order against him he had a tracker on her car you know that's a that's a tough detail to that yeah wrap your mind around um it's chaos you know the 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 moments just before coming out are chaos you are you're a mess and you should try to minimize the damage you do to other people doesn't sound like he did i don't know I, i just just don't fucking wait wait one year before you do a goddamn reality show jesus christ yeah give it a beat colton underwood Give it a beat. Always breathe. Breathe, Colton Underwood. Baby. Um, We need to get him on this show. We need to set that man right. Absolutely. And also, uh, Gus Kenworthy, we're waiting. (laughs) Let's talk. Let's get into it. Be our gay guides. What I understand is that he makes an appearance on the show. Uh, I I think we have all built it into this thing where it's like Gus is like, you know, Willy Wonka showing him the whole gay factory. Right. Which I don't. I, I hope is not true. I hope he just makes like a little guest. I I don't know what the fucking reality show is, but I also I have no fucking connection to the world that the two of them will be a part of. That like shirt off house music, GHB world. I just don't know it, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, and you're I'm right. Though, like those, those, you know, it seems like that. Those are the people who will embrace him, uh, mm-hmm. and he will learn all the wrong things about being part of the queer community. And well, the other thing I was going to say is that where I, I kind of came out on it, at least as of today, and I'm again, sure I will change my mind five more times before this comes out is it's fluid. Maybe as much as I roll my eyes at this, uh, reality special, that there will be a fraction of, you know, closeted kids who need to see somebody who looks and acts like a Colton in order to see themselves. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I obviously have much more empathy and interest in the people who feel like complete outsiders and and don't see themselves until they see like an episode of Pose. You know what I mean? Like those mm-hmm. are the the people who are actually going to um, to struggle, and I think are like truly worthy of our um, attention. But right. maybe a few people who are extremely like heteronormative minded would will be helped by seeing a Colton? I don't know. It takes I'm, all kinds. I guess. Yeah. I, I guess it is a net positive for a beautiful boy to come out. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. He, uh, very handsome. We can agree, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. So we have... A double feature show today. It is, I guess. I mean, should we get right into it, or should we get into these questions? Because we got we some did get great a couple questions. of questions. Let's let's answer one question. We did get okay. some questions on our Instagram at Homophilia Pod. Um, let's see. Oh, from a cis married mom of two who loves our show. How did you guys first meet? Ah, well, Colin Anderson uh, of Earwolf, our mm-hmm. former home, kindly introduced yep. us because we were both looking to do a podcast. Yeah, we were uh, we had some notions, uh, similar notions about doing similar kinds of shows, and he said, "What if what if we put you guys together?" And we had coffee at, uh, at commissary on Sunset. So, uh, listeners, there was a time when people would meet in person yes. in a room and drink coffee together at a table, uh, and so we did that, and it went well. I knew of you, I didn't know you, and uh, but we we got along immediately, 
And that was that. Leo7190 and Jack Mackinox. Oh, There's same question from him. Yeah. Same question. Same and, question. And I will say, yeah, I will add that when Colin said, what about Dave Holmes? I know him. I said, I love Dave Holmes. He'll never do it. But sure. Yeah, good luck, Colin. Let's try Dave Holmes. Whatever. And then here we are, three, four years later. Four years later, yeah. I had been listening to Rock Bottom, your your spinoff of uh, of Bitch Sesh, and I was like, this guy is not only funny, he is soulful and ex- asks exactly the right questions. I was, I was a fan already. Um, Color me, Mikey wants to know who do we want to see as a repeat guest. Obviously, the answer, Colton Underwood. <laughs> um, so we uh, we have a double feature. We do. We spoke with. The Queen of Bounce, Big Frida. That's right. Uh, at home in New Orleans, getting ready for the fast food awards. She was being sent some Popeyes. Um, so she was uh, in half glam, full face, but a robe, mm-hmm. um, in her beautiful home in New Orleans. We got a moment to speak with her, but before that... Nigel Campbell, uh, my my dear friend, who is uh, just a friend of the show and a uh, a, a precious person on this planet who I love and He's great. is the showrunner of uh, the show Saints and Sinners which we've been talking about it's on Bounce TV you can also catch up on the previous seasons on Hulu and uh, he's just such a little gem of a tender heart of a, of a baby he's great He's great. We love him. It's uh, it's a double bounce. Oh, uh, do you know what, Dave? I just want to throw in one more of these questions because I think it's also yeah. an obvious answer. Is uh, you shoo about that? Asked who are your personal style icons? And I think again we can agree, Colton. Colton Underwood. Underwood. Absolutely, Colton Underwood. Colton Underwood. The guy can wear a T-shirt. That's right, folks. Nigel Campbell and Big Frida. We're back with Nigel Shugs Campbell. Shugs. Shugs. Shugs and Dave. Now, Shugs, so there's a, a mutual Shugs going on. I'm gonna need I'm gonna need to be caught up. I actually don't know remember why we started calling each other. I really was gonna ask you the same thing, but it, it feels like it's been for about as long as we've been friends, which has yeah. you know gone back to like 2008 at this point. Um, yeah, at a certain point, one of us started calling each other that, and then we just decided to reciprocate. And there we go. We we must start by telling Dave and the people our origin story, because it's just so yeah. strange how we it. met. Please. Um, yes, Matt and I, we were part of a web series called In the Moment. It was, uh, I guess, sponsored by the mm-hmm. City of West Hollywood and the LA Game Lesbian Center. And I described it as like Melrose Place with the message. And uh, Matt and I played boyfriends. So we met as uh, romantic yeah. partners. I think maybe our first day was, you know, a full on sensual scene if you will i think you're my yeah. first my first one of those yeah. actually uh but yeah so we played boyfriends for about three years off and on yeah it was a long gig and it was by the way it's not out there so nobody try to find no. it don't 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 waste your oh, time yes it is uh yeah it is it's, yes it is it is out there it is out there i have seen it and it is charming. And you're both oh, great you're very sweet. You're it very is. sweet. Nigel was a, like a real part of the show and in most of the episodes, I think. Or, right? Yeah, but I feel like you were in my first episode. You know, I came onto the show as like the new resident of the apartment complex. And they immediately were like, well, he needs a love interest. And enter Matt as Billy. And uh, we became a quick super couple to our very, very avid fandom. And Billy was basically on his back the entire time. Like the majority of our work was done. Like I, my whole memory of that was just lying in bed with you with the overhead shots, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. very easy work. And, but because I, I would just kind of like came and went here and there in a handful of episodes, I wasn't like the most committed actor. I would say so like, would just like get the, and this was a, you know, a professional yeah. production with a great, great director or anything. But I would get the script and kind of just look at our scenes and not the rest of them. And so sometimes we'd be talking and I'd be like, who's Brian? And I'd be like, the lead of the show that we're on. And I'd be like, huh, not familiar. 
But you know what? I really appreciated your easy approach to the work. It just kind of made everything a lot more just comfortable. We had a just easy, easy vibe. So it was fun. <laughs> yeah, you were like, well, the bar's been set very low. Okay. So we can just but be comfortable. You know what? You say that, though. And okay, actually, you're kind of right. We had this sort of easy thing. And I didn't really know what kind of actor you are or, or were. Uh, but then I went to see you in a certain production, The Boys of the Band, at the Coast Playhouse, and uh, you were Michael. And just blew me away. I was like, "Oh, you do that? You, you're, you're an That's actual actor. Sweet. You're, you know, a Tisch School of Drama performer." That's very sweet. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, I am none of those things. But the <laughs> last thing, Dave, I'm sorry about in the moment that is no. worth telling you is because this was a city of West Hollywood, uh, like affiliated with the LGBT Center. Uh, Big, surprisingly large marketing budget. Uh-huh. And we were on like every bus stop in West Hollywood. And I do remember it, that. It was just so straight. People were very confused. Absolutely. They were like, I've never heard of this show. And yet you are everywhere. We were on but condoms. But the best part was we were on condoms. So you would go to, no, I mean, you go to uh, trunks and there'd be a fishbowl of free condoms and you would dig them out and it would be an in-the-moment condom with our picture on them. <laughs> God, that's living. And this is like, this is, we're talking about 2005, uh, 2009 six? to 2012, I want to say. Oh. Yeah, we had, we okay. had our moment. We were really in the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> you were in the moment. What a, what a time for West Hollywood. We're, we're, uh, it's mm-hmm. pre-pump. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Big time. Yeah. And like, what a, what a move to just try to casually, like, show somebody that you're talking to in the bar that you're on a condom, you know? <laughs> you don't have to say anything. You oh. just pass them that condom and just, you know, let magic happen. What yeah. great living. This was what pretty grinder too. It was really a moment. I'm really glad we were here for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Abbey was a, was a, like a mm-hmm. stand, like a coffee stand. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the rooftop of Fiesta uh. Cantina at that point. Oh, oh boy, mm-hmm. me too. Double giant yes. Coronas, yes, yes yeah. absolutely. Two for ones, but they bring them yeah. both to you at the yeah. same time, so you just have to look at them, and they got hot in the, uh, yeah. in the afternoon I mean, they had, like, sun. Two yeah. rounds. It was really, it was, it was a good, good spot. Yes, mm. I would I, like for some reason at Fiesta Cantina, and this is not I, like a humble bragger in anything because I never got hit on in public, but. At Fiesta Cantina in particular was groped like multiple, just like that's my main memory of going there is just like someone's hand literally like in my butt crack, you know, just a stranger grabbing you and kissing you. I don't know what was going on there. I guess it was the two for ones. Yeah. It was the two for ones, man. I drove through uh, West Hollywood last Sunday just to see, you know, how – just to gauge mm-hmm. its awakeness level. It was pretty oh, yeah. wide awake. Oh, yeah. It's awoken. Um, they, they made it. There was somebody making a show of taking temperatures on the <laughs> way into the Abbey, which was packed. But uh, whether whether the person was looking at what the temperatures yeah. of the people were is, yeah, I don't Yeah, it's I can't definitely dangerously you. alive. At this, I live in West Hollywood. Uh, so I'm definitely seeing, you know, everybody yeah. uh, on the streets making their way into various bars. Um, I haven't leaned into that just yet. I'm waiting to be fully vaccinated before yeah. I do gyms, bars, indoor dining, all yes. that sort of thing. But uh, there are a lot of people doing, doing the thing, doing the thing. They're awake. Yeah. <laughs> So yep. if you're going yep. to the Abbey, your, uh, you know, your temperature check, which thank God, because we all know that if you have a low temperature, you can't have or spread COVID. Um, but then I guess That's just a fact. the look is mask on, you pull it down to take a drink mm-hmm. or take a drag and then, and then it goes back up. I think that's the idea. Sounds safe to it me. It doesn't have the same. Speaking of soaps, like in the moment, Nigel is a lifelong soap fan. Right. I mean, what what would you say drew you to soaps at a young age? Um, drama, drama. I think that, you know, as mm-hmm. a uh, closeted gay kid, you know, I was one of those kids that like knew they were gay, just like knew what I had a sense of what was going on. Circa like age five, I had a crush on the boy across the street, knew that I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Uh, but so I think that from that point, there was already this sort of uh 
part part of my life that felt a little compartmentalized. And I was looking for an outlet for that. And the drama provided by, you know, Brenda Walsh and Dylan McKay and Kelly Taylor on Nana 210 really, really fed that. Um, and then I did some general hospital daytime soaps as well. Uh, Vanessa uh-huh. Marcel's Brenda Barrett really ushered me through my adolescence. So, yeah, I, that's, I think that's you're still the staying true to General Hospital. So to true. Day. So true to General Hospital. I think I've watched that show since like 1995. Wow. I That's the one ABC that I could just never really? get into. Dave, Sonny and Brenda? Yeah. It just, yeah, oh, didn't wow. care. Just didn't, I couldn't <laughs> care about it. Um, my across the street neighbor just played an evil psychiatrist, Ooh. I think, in General um, Hospital. I don't, um, know an, I don't know of an evil psychiatrist, but there are quite a few evil characters right now. So you can, yeah, tell me off your, your neighbor's name and I'll, General and I'll Hospital. be sure I know who it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he, he was in a handful, it was in a handful of episodes over a few months. And then they killed him off. Okay. And they wanted him to be a body for a bunch of episodes uh, after he'd been killed off. And he was like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to lay there for a week. Like, kill me behind a couch and have somebody's legs poking (laughs) out. I am not coming back in to be a corpse. Which I have to respect. You do. But, you know, also, I mean, it's COVID. These gigs are uh, slim picking. I might show up and be a corpse for a few days just to check. Yeah, you cannot turn work down. Have you dipped a toe into British soap operas? Uh, Dipped a toe? Sure. Um, Okay. You know, my father was in the military, so we moved around quite a bit growing up. And I lived in Europe uh, throughout most of high school. And so I got a lot of um, British soaps and Australian soaps at that point. So there was some some neighbors. There were some EastEnders. Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've done a little Hollyoaks from time to time, but never a consistent viewer. Okay. They're all very strong. Really? All very okay. strong. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the British soap because it, it's like the it's like American soaps uh-huh. without any of the money or glamour. <laughs> um and and like everybody fucking dies. And when they die, they die. <laughs> no one's ever a spy. Everyone okay. like if you if you are dead, you are okay. dead they're not, and never they're not coming, coming back. back from the dead. Okay. Never ever coming back. The stakes are high. Everybody's super working class. Everybody's grill is fucked up. It's uh, it's that, great. That, See, that Eastender sketch on uh, Drag Race UK must have hit you, you know, on multiple levels. It it hit me very deeply, and it was it, honestly those performances were one tiny degree off of the real thing. <laughs> They're big. Yeah, They're big. I really enjoyed that 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 sketch. <laughs> I'm telling you, UK this year mm-hmm. brought it. They really, really brought it. They really brought it. I was. Uh, I Who was are your current favorites? On well. On oh, UK and US. Uh, UK, I was very Team Bimini uh, once they returned from their uh, mm. quarantine break. I thought that she came back and just slayed everything. Uh, yeah. um, you know, I was, I was certainly happy for Lawrence Cheney, great, great queen as well, but Bimini was tops for me. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I'm watching, you know, the US version right now. I'm deeply, deeply, deeply committed to Simone taking all of this. Yeah, I still think yeah. it's hers to lose, but uh, she made me very nervous last week. So I'm just hoping that we can cross the finish line yeah yeah i'm uh, i'm a big simone fan as well awesome 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 and simone is so funny that it it, it i guess it is just a thing now where the funniest queens do trip up sometimes mm-hmm. in the in comedy challenges um but I, we were texting about this. I, I, a part of me was like, "Did she do this on purpose to make her seem more relatable?" Because it's, she's just been so, she's so head and like, shoulders. so excellent. So, yeah. like, you know, over and over again every week, she wanted to be like, "Look, I can mess up too." Just kidding. No, I can't. It's yeah. a risky, bold move, though. I'm like, "Don't play with my emotions that way, Simone. Please, please." Yeah. And I could, I could listen to her soap actress voice forever. Factory. Factory. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> She's really wonderful. And I was pretty pro Utica as well. I like a goofy queen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was time. It was time. Yeah, I think it was mm-hmm. time. Um, I, I, I wish that she would have, you know, taken that constructive feedback that was being mm-hmm. given to her by Lonnie and Michelle. And, but, you know, sometimes yeah. we have to trust our own instincts and sometimes our instincts are wrong. Yeah. Sometimes our instincts are just to be abusive yeah. During a comedy challenge. Yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, thank you. I don't, don't that's not don't. what I'm looking for. It's, it's not, not what I want. 
<laughs> roasts in general walk that line. Have you Most done, people don't know how to do that well. Have you done a lot of roasts, Dave? I feel I like never have. No, I never okay. have. Okay. Never have. And I never ever will. I hate them. Okay. I hate okay. them. Hate them. They make me so sad. Um, unless they're done right. I've watched a couple, and like a really good mean joke <laughs> is funnier than anything. Right. But they're usually not that funny and really mean, and they just make me sad. And it's like David Spade and Kid Rock, right? And, you know. No. Uh, Sybil Shepherd for some reason. And, you know, like I never understand why it's happening. Martha Stewart will show up sometimes. Martha sure. Stewart will show up. The situation. Like I don't why? Why? Um, no, I no, absolutely not. Nigel, we were talking before, but you know, you were you've listened, I I believe uh, it's fair to say, to a good amount of homophilia. Yeah. And you're Thank still with you. us. This is of course a long time coming for you to finally be here. I'm just curious, you know, having heard us, having, you know, known us, any notes for us? Yeah. Notes for you guys? Yeah. yeah. We'd love oh, some feedback. Man. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know what? I actually think you, you I, I don't have notes. I feel like you guys are really, really, really uh, comprehensive interviewers. I think you ask really interesting questions and you care about the responses. <laughs> And you're good listeners, which I think is key. Okay, it's just one. That's thank you. I was just trying right. to set you up for some complimenting. <laughs> but you know, you can you can sort of prey on it. And if later okay. in this interview you're like, actually, can we hop back yeah. on so I can say a few Let's, other things? Yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah. Um, what has been your um, your comfort food during lockdown? My comfort food. Um, mm, you know, I, I really. Early on in the pandemic, I was really trying to stay on top of, you know, cooking the meals and doing the indoor online workouts and all that kind of stuff. And then it really did just kind of go to shit. And there was a lot of just consistent takeout. There's a lot of tacos happening in my life. You know, a lot of queso tacos. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm big into the uh, L.A. pop-up scene. So, you know... Carla Cafe has the, have these like great sandwiches. There's this like wonderful taco place in Highland Park that I've been like making appointments to go and pick up food from. Like you order on a oh, Monday shit. or pick up on Saturday. Um, wow. I did a yeah. fried fish sandwich in Echo Park, this little place called Little Fish. Again, like I ordered it on a Tuesday and picked it up on a Saturday. It's it's that serious. So a lot, Ooh, lot of yeah. yeah, a lot of experimentation amongst uh, Los Angeles pop up food culture. Yeah, the the so burger you, that you have to chase around town is definitely having yeah. a moment in LA. The burger <laughs> you have to track down with an app. <laughs> Nothing more attractive than somebody you got to chase down. Yeah, exactly. That's always the case. Always the case in food and in romance. Yes. And what are you watching aside mm-hmm. from Drag Race? Obviously, um, outside of. Drag Race. Um, I'm late to the party on this. I did just complete um, I May Destroy You, which was phenomenal. Um, yes. I didn't, I don't, I, I mean, I obviously knew that it was about sexual trauma and assault, but I didn't know that it was going to be from so many different perspectives on that. And I think Michaela Cole is just, I don't know, a revelation, just so, so special. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching that. Um, I've definitely done all of the sort of water cooler, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier stuff. My little, you know, quarantine pod. We watch that on a like every Friday. So that's been fun. And Insecure is kind of a perfect show. So, mm-hmm. you know, Insecure, Pen15, those were all pandemic views. And Winter Soldier, worth it? A WandaVision I, of course, consumed and loved. But Winter Soldier, we have been a little reluctant to jump into. Um, yeah, I think it's worth it. I mean, you know, it's, it's about men, which means it's like much less interesting to me, (laughs) but but I think that that's our hesitation, but you know, but it's been fun. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely worth watching. I think that with these shows, it's interesting. You get to take these characters that have been sort of treated as a bit more secondary and they get to breathe and you get to get to know them and invest in them a little bit more deeply, which I think will only inform the cinematic universe in a beneficial way so i think it's worth the time and uh, you know i would also i have to note that i am deeply invested in the Row housewives franchise so there's been a lot of that as well yeah so can you explain to me and mm-hmm. this is I, this is to both of you mm-hmm. what just happened we are recording this on the 31st of march on the yeah. 30th truly housewives twitter 
lost their minds <laughs> over someone being arrested. Jen Shaw. Mm-hmm. Jen Shaw. Please, please yeah. explain. Uh, Jen Shaw is from the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And uh, mm-hmm. she was arrested, I believe, by the uh, by the New York uh, court system for mm-hmm. um, wire fraud and yep. you know, trafficking. I mean, I think she's been like stealing. Conspiracy to something to do something else bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a lot of like telemarketing scams where she's been like targeting elderly people and stealing their money. Yeah, yeah. Yikes. They're very explicit in the in the the court documents that it's like she, she knew exactly what she was doing. She knew that she was preying on elderly people who didn't have a computer would would like you know would fall for scams like these. By the way, I should mention I I would probably be out by now. Did a, an emergency recording of bitch sesh <gasps> with Danielle this morning about this very topic only because. We had speculated about Jen's um, business dealings earlier on and, um, you know, wanted basically to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> sure. Take no, a little, take a little victory lap. Um, yeah. No, it's intense. And, and the cameras were rolling. So, you know, Salt Lake is in production as this was happening. Apparently the cameras were rolling when, like, the, the Fed showed up to pick her, pick her up as they were heading out for a cash trip. So, oh, you know, I, I want I, I do want to see it all. It's 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 unfortunate what's what's transpired but i do want to see it mm-hmm. same and i mean just so so grateful that uh that their the cameras were there um and another thing that people should be watching of course is the show saints and sinners and i'd love to know you you, you wrote on I believe two seasons of the show and then got a call that you were going to be the showrunner for the next season. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you got that call? Uh, the call was unexpected. Um, yeah. You know, I joined the show in season three and, you know, wrote in season three and season four. Um, and when I got the call from our head of our production company, I, I I got the sense that he was, you know, kind of feeling me out, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I answered the phone. He was like, Hey, do you want this job? It was, you know, how do you feel about another season of the show? How did you feel about your experience on last season of the show? Is that a thing that you'd be interested in participating in going forward? At which point I could tell that he was wanting me to do something. And at which point I said, like, I would love to come back and, you know, tell the story further but i'd like to come back running the show and i i was able to and he offered me the position at that point so it was uh it was very flattering to be given the reins of uh you know the show that i've really really enjoyed working on and season five is great it's really really fun you premiere april how, <laughs> how does it feel being handed the reins did you feel ready? Um, I did. I did because I felt like I really knew the world of the show and these characters. And, you know, when you spend so much time determining and, and really just asking yourself, like, what would so-and-so do in this circumstance, um, it becomes a little bit like second nature uh, to write uh-huh. for them. And so, you know, I know all these voices and I felt very attuned to the voices of our actors as well. So I'm... I've always sort of been someone that believed just bet on yourself. And I know that I can, I know that I can do things effectively. So I knew that if I took the job that I would succeed in it. I love that. Cause show runner is such like, that's, that's a, that's, that's huge. Elite. Well, just hearing it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know me too. And I, I was with you a lot when do you, we are working on something together. Mm-hmm. I was with you a lot when do you, when, this became the new reality and then you you know went to Atlanta and managed to shoot a successful season of television in the middle of covid and this was ear- earlier in the pandemic yeah. like people weren't vaccinated it was and your confidence and poise throughout this were so striking to me i feel like some one of the reasons that i love working with you is like i have such extreme imposter syndrome and i don't it, and if, if you have it, you don't lead with it, you know, and it, you just have like a, a sense of like optimism that is so, I don't know, 
useful and and I think just draws people to you and it makes sense that they had faith in you to do this. But what, all that to say, where where does that come from? Uh, well, first of all, I really appreciate that. So thank you. And um, it's it, it's also one of the pleasures of working with you is that uh, you know I, I I see and understand your talent and it's 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 our, our styles are very complementary and it's it's really a pleasure to collaborate with you on anything. Um, I think that where that comes from, I, I don't think that I have a choice but to lead with my best foot forward and to lead with confidence in my own abilities because people aren't going to hand you opportunities unless you can present yourself as someone that's capable of you know, stepping up to those opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm... I think that I'm really good at, you know, just kind of keeping my head down and doing the work and really letting that speak for myself, uh, speak for itself, sorry. And, you know, so far that that's worked out for me. And I think that, you know, my parents were really great about just instilling a really strong sense of self and belief in me and in my sister. So I've always felt like I could achieve things. And, you know, if you work at it and you believe in it, you're living proof. Um, okay, so please tell Dave and the people what's doing in your love life at the moment. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm very single at the moment. Okay. Um, I did. I was in a relationship at the start of the pandemic. Um, actually, started dating someone in January as I took over the show. So we, you know, got into the writers' room and I started dating somebody and. Um, you know, things were going quite well. And then the world ended, you know, we kind of had the apocalypse happen. And it's a a strange set of circumstances to be developing a burgeoning relationship, you know? So, you know, you start dating someone in January and then in March, the world shuts down and you're just kind of like, okay, well, where do you go from here? And uh, that was difficult. You know, I think that some relationships really thrive under those circumstances. That sort of pressure, that sort of pressure cooker. Um, and mine didn't. <laughs> so you know, you know, we, we we parted ways in September. But it's all good. He's a lovely, lovely, lovely person. Uh, but but I'm very single. And the world is, you know, to some degree coming back. Mm-hmm. What will your What will your dating policies be? What are your protocols moving forward? Um, Well, in terms of, I mean, I I feel like I always would say yes to a date there. If someone's like going to go out of their way to ask you on a date, like why say no? Like why not just go and have that experience? Um, At least you'll probably have an interesting conversation or an interesting encounter. Um, In terms of relationships, I, I know that I will be going slower in terms of uh, committing to something i think that you know jumping into something the way that i did and having the experience that i had it sort of made me feel like okay well maybe take some steps to you know ensure that this is something that you want to be tied to and invested in you know so that too many hearts aren't broken either way (laughs) right you mentioned a quarantine pod who's who you potted up with uh, who am I potted up with? I have two close friends that I see quite frequently. Uh, one of them actually uh, works at World of Wonder. So I guess you oh, guys yeah? are all oh. in the family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hello, friend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I I see those two, you know, pretty frequently. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really have just, I, I wanted to treat this situation with the seriousness that it deserved. And frankly, I just am not interested in getting sick and I'm not interested in getting anybody else sick. And, you know, part of the responsibilities as the showrunner, you know, we were working in Atlanta. We were one of the first shows back into production. Um, we started shooting August 12th in 2020. And at that point, there was a very small handful of shows that were back up and running. Your daytime soaps, you know, they were shooting. And really, it wasn't much else. So we were kind of figuring it out as we went along. Um, and we were shooting in Atlanta, you know, a city where I don't live. Um, but it was a circumstance where it was like, okay, I'm running the show. You kind of want to lead by example. And I cannot be the person that brings COVID onto this set, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I don't want us to be shut down. I don't want to get anybody sick. There's a lot of money on the line. So 
with all of that in mind, I just took it all really seriously and kind of just closed ranks, you know? Mm-hmm. It was only after I got back to LA after the shooting that I started seeing people, <laughs> even my close yeah. pod now, you know? Right. Yeah. Now, and now that, you, that, you know, we're slowly stepping toward the light, who, mm-hmm. you know, for people who are listening, who should slide into the DMs? Who yeah. need apply? <laughs> uh, who need apply? Um, ideally, they're going to be funny and they'll be smart and they'll be kind. Um, you know, Matt, you and I have actually talked quite a bit about uh oh, me trying to hone in, hone in on like what I'm looking for, you know, just really try to like narrow that down and uh, sort of start seeking things out with intention. But I would say that those qualities, you know, I want, I'd love for someone to be funny, smart, kind, and have some ambition, have, you know, have some passion towards like what you're going for or working towards. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, have gotten to the promised land of what that is, but, you know, have that thing that you're striving for. I think that that's really attractive. Is there an age range? Older, younger? <laughs> uh, I would say someone around my age or older, probably within like five to seven years. So let's say like uh-huh. 35 to like 43. That's a okay. good like spot for me. It's a good range. It's a good time of life. Yeah, I, I agree. Right. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Guys, uh, slide in. Line up. Um, we're so, so happy that we finally did this and you have to come back. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll hopefully talk more about the gentleman callers and yes. what have you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm uh, thrilled that I got to do this. And, uh, you know, yeah. as I said, big fan of the show. You guys thank are great. You. Thank the you. The show is a big fan of you. And, uh, I look forward to hunting burgers throughout the Los Angeles area. Absolutely. With you. Yes. In a in a new world. It's coming. In a it's new coming. safer world. It's coming. <laughs> oh yeah. It will come. We're gonna, we're our country's gonna fuck it up two more times, but then after that, we're gonna get there. Exactly. Exactly. I swear to God. Twenty twenty four. We're looking at you. It's gonna be great. <laughs> That's right. Thank you, Shugs. Thanks, Shugs. Thanks, Dave. We are back with Big Frida. Hello. Hello. What's going on? I mean, you tell us. You're glammed. There's dogs. There's uh, there's a, a, a beautiful living area. You've got a stacked day of interviews, we're told. Yes. Yes. Today is press day. Uh, and when it's not press day, what are you, what are you doing to stay sane? I mean, I'm always busy, so there's there's always things to do, you know. Um, you know, still working on all type of different other ventures that I have going on. So there's they're they're keeping me busy. I've been busy throughout this whole pandemic. Good, just Good. being creative and you know making music and you know going to the studio. Just you know. Keeping busy. Appearing in the latest episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. During their trip to New Orleans. And I have to ask you about it because, you know, this messy fight breaks out at dinner and Marlo storms out. And uh, I think there's this great moment where you just say, I'm lost and leave the table. But in general, do you follow the show? Like, are you invested in the in their, you know, drama? Yeah, a, a little bit, you know, but um, that drama came out of nowhere. Um, that was not expected to happen, um, you know, because they were supposed to just come have a great cooking demo with me, and um, that went completely left out of nowhere. So, you know, I followed the drama, but that part of the drama was not um, supposed to happen that day. <laughs> you were truly lost. I was. We all were. <laughs> yes, I was. So what, um, you've been obviously busy during lockdown. Uh, during the moments when you are not busy, what are you, what are you consuming pop culture-wise? You, do you have a moment to listen to music? Do you have a moment to watch television? Well, I mean, yeah, I, mostly I, I watch TV. You know, I'm into crime shows, so I'm always watching Law & Order and CSI and, 
you know, NCIS New Orleans and uh, Chicago PD. So I like, you know, the shows more than anything. Um, musically wise, I've been in the studio for the last year, you can say, mm-hmm. um, creating my own sounds and finishing up projects, getting ready for the new EP, working on my kids' project. Um, yeah, just musically working, you know, in a studio making great new sounds for this this next batch of music that's going to be dropping real soon. What can you tell us about it? Well, you know, Platinum was the first single that dropped on there, but, you know, this new wave is going to be hard. It's going to be some, some, some hot shit that's coming out. You know, I'm super excited about it. Taking the music up to another notch, next level quality, mm-hmm. um, you know, working with new producers and... and and people to collaborate on this. So it's going to be a great project. I'm excited about it. And uh, it's going to have a lot of great energy coming, you know, from it. Love it. Yeah. What was the stuff that, that like, that, that inspired you as a kid, whether it was, you know, TV shows, movies, um, music? I mean, everything. I mean, I, you know, I grew up, I, you know, I was born in the 70s. I was, you know, grew up with all the 80s and 90s music. Um, you know, and that was from everything from Michael Jackson to Patti LaBelle to Prince to all of the great music that came out um, during that time. Um, you know, and I loved all the fun TV shows that was on, you know, back then. 227, Amen, What's Happening? You know, just all of the fun stuff that growing up as a kid, we watched and um, you know, that set the trends. We don't have shows like that no more. You know, the Cosby show, all the different stuff that I watched growing up as a kid was fun TV shows and, and talk shows that, you know, we were really into back then. You know, D from What's Happening does not get her due as a cultural icon. Yeah, D definitely definitely set the tone for a lot of stuff. D was so funny. She was a great character on uh, yeah. on what's happening. Her yeah. and Roger. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully played. Like so um so deadpan. So years ahead of her time. That was an actual child delivering that performance and she was oh. a comedic genius. Yeah, she did a she did a great job on there. Mm-hmm. Like she just her energy and, and the things she came up with her the, her snapbacks. She was a great entertainer on there for sure. Yeah, and I love the show. You know, like it was a great show. Yeah, she needs she needs her due as a cultural icon. We just we gotta. I, I don't. She needs a lifetime achievement award. Something a Kennedy Center honor. Something. Something. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Something. So I, I want to know about Little Frida before you were Big Frida. You know. Specifically in the church, I know that you grew up singing in the choir, singing in your neighborhood Baptist church. At the time, obviously music was important to you, but how were you, how did you think about church and religion? What was your relationship to it? I mean, I was happy into church. You know, I grew up into into church and um, into gospel music. Uh, went to Sunday school every week. Went to choir rehearsal every week. Uh, I became a choir director for my church. Um, I had my own choir at, at in, in high school. I also directed the, the, the choir in high school, sung with other many um, organizations around New Orleans um, that was choirs. So um, gospel was a big influence in my musical upbringing. And, um, you know, I just love to go everywhere and sing. We would do choir competitions. We would do... Uh, communications, going to other different churches, singing. Uh, we would travel all around the world doing different things. So it was a great, you know, growing up as a kid, having all those opportunities musically to see so many talented people around me and people who really love to sing. And, um, you know, I used to be around some people who used to blow, you know, just really like bringing the house down. And, and what's your relationship to the church like now? Well, um, I do, you know, I go sometimes um, if I'm not too busy. A lot of times, um, you know, things are, are a little different being that I've grown to who I am now. Um, you know, I just don't have the, the peace of mind. And um, I guess I would say that 
you know, when I go to church now, it's, it's always people want to take pictures and, you know, so I can't praise God the way that I want because of, of the people around me. So I have to kind of do it in my own space and, and keep my relationship with God, um, you know, kind of one-on-one versus when I was younger, I was free. I was able to go to church. I didn't have people, you know, running up to me, taking pictures and all of that. So now it's a little bit different, you know, and um, I be want to be in my element of, of really being into the music and into the service. And a lot of times that's not really happening when I have people sneaking and putting cameras in my face. Right. So it, it stops me from going sometime. Yeah. There, there was never, though, a conflict between, like, queerness and the church? No. Right. Not at all. Um, my church folks, they embraced me. Um, it was my safe haven growing up. Um, they knew that I was this little gay gay kid in a neighborhood who was, you know, still trying to find their way. And so the people and the women of the church embraced me and they allowed me to be myself and to really, like, help the church grow in any way that I can. And that's what happened. That's what, that's what we did. We... We worked together as a team. We, you know, did things for the community and for the other youth in in the church. And um, we just kept on moving things forward. And when you are seeking, you know, spiritual guide guidance, but, you know, church is a challenge because people are taking pictures, people are paying too much attention to you. What what do you do? How do you find that, you know, on your own? Um, just, you know, I can put on my gospel music. You know, grab my Bible, you know, read a few scriptures. I can pray. Um, but, you know, definitely when I, I want to set the mood, I I, um, I start with music, you know. And, and music takes me to a whole other place. So I can put on some gospel music, you know, like I will do it mostly every Sunday. You know, turn the music up, blast the music, get into the spirit. And I can feel the spirit right at home. Who's who's on the, the gospel hit parade? Like who's... Who should we be listening to if we'd like to bring some spirit in? Oh, I mean, I listen to a little bit of everybody from, um, you know, Yolanda Adams to Kurt Franklin to Fred Hammond to, I mean, Hezekiah Walker, John P. Key, Shirley Caesar. Um, I mean, there's so many that I listen to. I I have a long list of people that, um, you know, I know gospel music from way back then. So I, I go from old to new um, with the different sounds, but there's many. Timothy Wright, there's many gospel artists out there that I, I listen to. Right. So there's a long list of people. Yeah. You know, New Orleans is so much about community and togetherness. What is what is the current state of New Orleans COVID-wise right now? How, how locked down is it? Well, we're not locked down, you know, anymore. Um, you know, things are opening back up, so people are, are coming out. Um, you know, people are gathering in different places, um, you know, moving around the city. So it's not locked down like we used to be. Um, so definitely things have opened up a little bit for us here in New Orleans, and we're we're happy about that. Yeah. Because we were locked down too long when it, you know, when it came to this COVID um, you know, things are, are, are slowly but surely opening back up. And um, so we get to go out and, you know, restaurants are open and businesses are opening back up. Yeah. You know, it's getting back to normal. Yeah, I just can't imagine a quiet New Orleans. Yeah. It still wasn't you, quiet. Sure. We was okay. quiet for a, yeah. uh, it was quiet for a little bit, but we was we was never quiet. Yeah. <laughs> still had stuff going on. Yeah. How did how did you how did you compensate? How did you how did people get together? Just outdoors? I mean, outdoors, Airbnbs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's mostly what how people got together. People were giving, you know, when all the different stuff was shut down, people would get a house and they will Either, you know, gather at an Airbnb or they will gather at their house or backyard or, you know, whatever, however they wanted to do it. You know, for me, you know, I just stayed busy at home. You know, a few of the family members came over for the different things that I was doing because I started cooking mostly on live during COVID. So 
my family would come over for Sunday brunch. Um, a, you know, if they got a chance, some of them would come over for What You're Cooking Wednesday. And on on Friday night for the shakedown, Friday night in my backyard, you know, everybody would be, would, would be watching from the backyard. So we did different things to kind of, you know, keep us entertained over here. And um, yeah. What are some of the greatest what hits did. of What You Cook in Wednesday? Any, any big recipes that you came back to? Oh, I mean, uh, just about everything. I mean, the do what you do, uh, beef stew, okay. you know, my booty popping potatoes, my, my twerker main. I mean, I did all kind of stuff. Smother pork chops. I did, uh, you know, smother chicken. I did all kind of stuff <laughs> for that, for, for the what you're cooking Wednesdays. You know, every week I had to figure out something new of what I was cooking so we had many recipes, and yeah, I'm always going back to them. People always asking me, "Oh, do that again," you know. So you know, I'm using everything that I came up with again for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm no cook, but I definitely need to try the booty popping potatoes. Yeah, everybody, everybody wants to try the booty popping potatoes. That's what I cook for the housewives. That's what you for, yeah, yeah, yeah. They look amazing. Um, you know. Since we're on the topic of New Orleans, you are so closely associated with New Orleans. It is so you're so connected to that city. And, you know, when Hurricane Katrina struck, I know you had to evacuate to Texas. Um, But, uh, you know, and I can only imagine how painful that was for you. Um, But do you remember what was going through your head when you had to leave? Well, we were stuck, we, you know, we were stuck here in, in New Orleans. So um, just trying to get rescued out of a house that was, you know, two stories and the water was over the second, the first level. And I was on the second level and could touch the water with my hand out. The window was very scary. And, um, you know, just the whole, you know, Katrina episodes one after another was really life changing from sleeping on a bridge to sleeping at the convention center for being rescued on, you know, this big old cargo plane to being flew to Arkansas, then moving to um, an army base and then moving to, uh, you know, uh, a camping site. Like just every little thing that happened during Katrina was life changing for me. And, um, you know, I just kept on pushing and praying each day, and you know, taking it one step at a time, just making sure that my family was safe and secure. And um, once we got back finally with my mom, you know, we started to rebuild our lives, and, and, and it took it one day at a time. We had a family home in Laplace that, you know, my mom stayed at, and so we had to open the house back up, repaint it, you know, get hot water heaters, get everything up to part. You know, the house had been closed for over 20 years, so we really had to work hard on updating the house and getting it back to, you know, the right condition. And then I finally went to Texas after getting my mom straight. But it was definitely a journey and lots of hard work and lots of rebuilding um, during Katrina. And you made the documentary Frida Got a Gun, which is streaming on Peacock, uh, obviously should be required viewing for everybody. Um, and it's about gun violence and losing your brother to gun violence. So it goes without saying that that is a you know defining issue for you. Um, and politically, we're still in this you know, cycle of that there's a, a a tragic shooting and then there are calls for Congress to do something and thoughts and prayers and then nothing happens and, and, and it seems like the public sort of forgets about it. So um, what do you want to see Biden and Congress do immediately? I want them to change these gun laws. You know, they, they we need stricter gun laws in order to put this stuff into the right place and to protect our people and just to, to, to make things a little tougher for people to get guns. It's so easy for people to walk in stores and to purchase guns. And then they go out and they hurt people, you know, who has nothing to do with a lot of different situations that has happened with all these mass shootings and everything that happens and all these different killings in different communities. 
So we need to, you know, the the first thing is tightening these gun laws and, and making it more complicated for people to get their hands on these weapons and also just securing the guns when they're into transport to different places and you know because a lot of times so much happened with these guns and nobody want to take responsibility but it's on all of us you know as a community to to make this 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 effort happen in order for things to change it's only going to keep getting worse if we keep allowing this to happen yeah we're uh we've been circling the same block for a long time yeah yeah. And it's definitely time to, you know, stop circling that block. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I can only imagine it was a it was a painful documentary to make and a lot of like oh, very, painful experiences. Yeah, to, very hard. I mean, it was one of the hardest things I had to create, you know, um film wise. Then that I had to, you know, relive some of those moments and and, you know, losing my brother to gun violence. I also was a victim to gun violence. So just opening all those cans of worms, yeah, was really tough. You know, it brought me to a lot of different emotional um, places that I didn't want to revisit. But it also gave me an opportunity to finally let some of that stuff out and to, you know, maybe help somebody else on their journey. Um, you know, and I wanted not my brother not just to his death to just be in vain. I wanted to have a purpose and and a reason to, um, you know, help somebody else or another family who's going through the same issues that my family had to face, you know. And, um, yeah, so I had to do it. It was meant to do, and I had to do it not just for myself but for my family and for other people out there in the world who may be facing those same issues. Yeah. You are somewhat accustomed to having cameras around you from the reality show. Does it ever get easier living your life with a camera crew around? Do you, are you ever yeah. not conscious of it? I mean, I'm always conscious of it, but it, it's, it's definitely became much easier after doing six seasons. Um, I think I'm a pro at it when it comes to a camera being around me. I don't get nervous anymore. You know, I'm ready for the camera and I know exactly, um, you know, what I want to do and how I want to do it when it's time to be on camera. So I'm always conscious of it, though, because you just don't know. Those cameras are very tricky. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. Very, very tricky. Did you make any mistakes early on that you... Uh, no, not really. I mean, because all of it was a learning experience um, when I first thought it. So, um, you know... All of those were, were were learning experiences for me. I don't say that I, I made any big mistakes, but um, I can tell you one thing. After the first season, I learned how I wanted to be on camera and learned how I wanted to record in, in a certain image that I wanted to, you know, give off on camera. So I definitely learned the camera system really quickly and the producers and how all of the magic worked. After the first season, and um, when it came to the second season, I was ready for them. And when it came to the third season, I was a little bit more ready. And fourth season, I, I tightened it up even more. So each season, I got better and better at, you know, learning the camera and owning the camera and, and really controlling, you know, what I say and what I do and how I act and, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. We have to ask about your love life before we let you go. Yeah. Um, you have this, you know, pretty well-documented, long relationship with a gentleman named Devin. And I know there have been a lot of ups and downs. He's in the back. The He's, least. We, okay. We're still He's hanging here. in there. He's okay. with us. Uh, great. So so I, I'm assuming that means things are going well at the moment. Yeah, things are going well at the moment. You know, we're still hanging in there. Um, you know, it's going on 15 years. So it's been a long journey of, you know... Um, being there for each other, you know, ups and downs come with each and every relationship. Um, and we just, you know, keep on, you know, taking each day at a time and keep helping, trying to help each other grow and to become better us, you know, and it is what it is. You know, I, I just take it one step at a time. 
But he's in the back. He's still there. He's, I mean, that means he, something. Yes, he's still here. <laughs> he's still in the back. In the back of this beautifully decorated home, are you still are you still decorating? Yes, I am. Because right now I'm actually repainting the whole house. Yeah. And so we're in the dining room right now where I'm not repainting. Mm-hmm. But from the um, front of the home all the way through is being rearranged right now. So the house is all all over the place right now. Things are not in in place um, at the moment because I'm redecorating. Okay. I lightened up all of the color off the walls and went with lighter colors to brighten up the room, you know, remove some different curtains. You know, I want to bring more light and more life into the house. So, yeah, just changing the whole house around. Okay. Well, the sliver that we're seeing looks great. Well, thank you. Big Frida, such an honor to talk to you. Thank you so, so much for doing this. Oh, no problem. Anytime, anytime. 